The proposal is a direct reaction to Governor Gretchen Whitmer and at least 13 of the state's top lawmakers signing non-disclosure agreements, gagging them from sharing specific details of billion-dollar deals. Wow. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Managing Editor for The Center Square, a nonpartisan news site. Michigan in Focus is brought to you by America's Talking Network. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric coming from echo chambers in our country today, America's Talking Network has been made for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find news, civil conversations, and all of the Center Square podcasts. The only agenda that America's Talking Network has is to get America talking again. Go to americastalking.com to check out all of their podcasts. Once again, that's americastalking.com. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, March 3rd. And joining me for a civil conversation is Scott McClellan, the Center Square's Michigan correspondent and author of the book, Twisted Tech. Hello, Scott. How are you today? Doing good, Bruce. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great talking to you. Uh, as you know, I'm a huge fan of your your stories, your journalism, and uh, your, your book is a, is a real rip snorter. I'm really appreciating that and extremely applicable to a lot of the current events as they're happening today. So uh, what a... What a fortuitous event to have your book published when all of these things are, are going on right now in uh, the tech field uh, with the internet. And uh, well, why don't you give a, just a little bit of background on the book? Yeah. So the book explores the intersection of technology, privacy, and the internet. And basically uh, the book argues that our online actions have more consequences than ever, whether that be uh, a post getting you fired from your job or, uh, you know, a a bad video following you around online that makes you less likely to get hired. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. And um, I'm sure we'll be talking about it a little bit uh, more in future episodes of Michigan in Focus. But let's um, talk a little bit. Uh, um, you're covering a story today about the Unemployment Insurance Agency in Michigan, which has been under fire for, it seems, as long as you and I have been enjoying our tenure here at the Center Square. The Detroit News reported today that 18 unemployment insurance agency employees have been fired or suspended after an investigation. Now, the UIA lost at least $8.5 billion of taxpayer money to fraud in less than two years. And in some cases, it was the UIA's own employees that were stealing the money. Okay. So it it wasn't just the... uh the people who were spoofing the UIA saying that they were a a Kardashian, some of it was an inside job is what you're saying. Yeah. I I believe there were both, uh, both kinds of fraud in this circumstance. All right. Well, um, look forward to uh, seeing you follow your story on that, Scott, because 
that's definitely been uh, a touch and go situation, especially with what has been happening with UIA when uh, the former director, Steve Gray, just abruptly quit one day. This was uh, more than a year ago and uh, had a nice little uh, farewell check and a non-disclosure agreement that went along with it. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, it seems like the UIA has struggled to perform even basic responsibilities to Michiganders, whether that's getting benefits out quickly or even being clear on the forms uh, for who gets benefits and who doesn't get benefits. Gotcha. Okay, well, we'll be following up on that later. Um, I might as well jump in right here and talk about uh, what's been happening with the Michigan House Oversight Committee, which is, uh, they've been uh, dealing with the Myosha overregulation or basically potential ab- abuse of their authority. And one, one of the things that uh, the chairman of the committee has been trying to do is uh, get to the bottom of whether they are in actuality abusing their authority to the point where companies or uh, even government entities who have my uh, OSHA violations can challenge them without breaking the bank to do so that uh, they might the, the, the presumption in some of uh, what uh, the oversight committee is doing is that they might be just a little heavy handed and they convened this morning and I, I was able to to watch this. And it, it's always a delight, Scott, as you well know, watching the oversight committee or any of the committees that feature both representatives, Steve Johnson and Representative Julie Brixey from Okemos. Uh, one is a Republican, Johnson, and Brixey is a Democrat. And it's like watching an old episode of the Bickersons. And you're probably too young to remember that. But it was Francis Langford and Donna Michi as a couple that just argued incessantly. And I don't think these, this, these two could agree on uh, whether... Uh, Gone with the Wind was a great movie or not. So uh, I I think that uh, they are just immediately and automatically at odds on every given issue. But uh, today, uh, the Myosha director, Bart Pickleman, testified. And I don't know if you saw my book or my my piece on that today. Uh, But uh, it was quite interesting. He he gave a long, rather defensive defense of Myosha, saying that they're doing everything by the book. Uh, They have uh, 99 percent approval ratings and uh, things are going well with them. But Johnson pointed out that uh, an entity is required to seek legal counsel before any case is brought before an administrative law judge. And if such is the case, an alleged violator could spend thousands of dollars more by fighting uh, a $2,500 fine. And uh, one case in point was the uh, ombudsman for Argent International who testified last week that his company has already paid or spent $150,000 to defend themselves from what was essentially a $2,500 fine. That may seem kind of absurd. Well, why wouldn't you just pay the fine? But there are other costs. There are other uh, hidden costs there. And one of them would be their insurance rates would go up. Uh, Any subsequent fines from 
Myosha would be significantly higher than the initial fines that they had received. And also they could lose their uh, quality certification, which would cost them business with the big three. So those are really important things to take into consideration. Whereas uh, Representative Brixey was tried to assert that uh, if redesigning the Myosha appeal process would incentivize and, and I'm reading a direct quote, incentivize employers fighting their safety violations. And Pickleman agreed that it would establish a dangerous precedent and potentially jeopardize the health and safety of Michigan workers. And uh, as she was asking these questions, Johnson had jumped in and said that this wasn't exactly the case. And it was it seemed backwards that you would go in front of a Myosha appointed board after seeing an administrative law judge. And also the fact when Pickleman said that, well, if you want to get an attorney, that that's your choice. But no one's holding a gun to your head, forcing you to do so. And he said, well, um, you're going in front of an administrative law judge. Chances are you're probably going to retain an attorney because that's it's necessary to do so. And uh, Pickleman doubled down, just saying, well, that's your choice. If that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. Brixie said that the tone and the tenor of the implications of the committee's hearings would indicate to her that the employer's profits are more important than worker safety. And uh, Johnson's response to that was that uh, Representative Brixey was impugning the motive of the committee. Hmm. So th this, <laughs> it was, um, it was hell's a poppin'. It was uh, um, entertaining to watch, but uh, there are real substantive issues behind all of this. And uh, some of it goes along with the Port Huron case it, it, that you covered. And they went through all of the hassle and because it's the city of Port Huron there, it's, you know, the, the government fisc it, and which is, you know, the public is paying for it. And uh, they eventually won. They had all of the, their uh, fines dropped. But if you are in the private sector, that's not necessarily the case. And with uh, the example of Argent International, they're in for $150,000 now, basically trying to save their company's reputation. Yeah, that's that's a tough trade-off. Yes, it is. So anyway, let, let, let's move along. Um, th there's a lot of material that you've been writing on lately that um, is just as inform informative and interesting. And one of the big, big stories today is that the Senate has okayed a tremendous tax break, and they're going to send it to Whitmer who may or may not sign it into law? Yes. Yeah, so the Michigan Senate today passed that $2.5 billion tax break on a vote of 22 to 15. Uh, that bill aims to drop the personal income tax from 4.25% to 3.9% to boost tax deductions for seniors and to provide for a $500 tax credit for each dependent. So what that means for the average Michigan family of four is the bill, if it were signed into law, would provide about $147 in tax relief and uh, per counting year. the, yes, per year okay. and counting the child tax credit about that would uh, boost the number to about uh, $1,100, just over. Okay. 
Well, those seem like fairly small numbers. Am, am I, is that correct? You are correct, but it also depends on your income because this is an income tax break. So it is proportional to your income. So if okay. you make a lot more money, then you will get more money back. Gotcha. gotcha. However, uh, Whitmer is expected to veto the bill, which would be a pretty high profile move before the 2022 election. Uh, Whitmer says that she wants a smaller tax break and instead to spend additional money via the government in her $74 billion proposed budget for 2023. Uh, the Senate Fiscal Agency estimated that the bill the Senate passed today will reduce revenue by about $2.8 billion in fiscal year 2022 in 2023 and only grow after that along with the economy. Has, uh, have you heard any, any feedback? I know you have your, your ear to the train track when it, when it comes to the oncoming pushback or agreement with, with something like that. And I, I did see a, a press release come across from uh, the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. They, they heralded this as a, uh, as a great thing for, for Michiganders. Have you seen any other, feed, any other feedback from, for this? Yeah, I believe the Michigan Freedom Fund backs it. And uh, not the tax break bill, but the Michigan Municipal League backs uh, the compromise, which includes spending about $1.5 billion on public pensions. Okay. All right. Well, let's move around. We're, we're quickly running out of time because there's just so much stuff going on in Michigan right now. And uh, gosh, only knows if it's because it's an election year and the, and the election campaigning is due to really pick up a head of steam in, in March. And here we are in March already. So um, here's a story. Now, bills aim to stop NDAs for public private deals. What is that all about? Non-disclosure agreements? Yes. So a bipartisan group wants to make transparent billion dollar economic development deals that are partly funded by taxpayers. The, the proposal is a direct reaction to Governor Gretchen Whitmer and at least 13 of the state's top lawmakers signing non-disclosure agreements, gagging them from sharing specific details of billion dollar deals uh, relating to electric vehicle subsidies. Wow! So they can they, they can actually do that. I I, I thought the <laughs> uh, I, I thought that the the, the whole uh, rallying call of every politician for the last five ten years has been transparency. Well, Bruce, uh, it's an election year. So <laughs> okay, you got to throw oh. all that out the window. Okay, but uh, so um, as we're handing out tax abatements and incentives to major corporations and what have you, uh, there is there's actually backroom deals being cut where individuals can't talk about them. Yeah. And the worst thing is, is that this is taxpayer money, basically. Okay. Well, you, I mean, for example, do you, do you have any examples of this? A backroom deals being cut? The MEDC uh, is the, the, sorry, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation acts as the intermediary between uh, these companies who get the deals and lawmakers. Mm -hmm. So lawmaker, so these three entities go behind the closed door and that's basically all we know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, th that segues 
very easily into the uh, the General Motors bait and switch story that you wrote that that could have what was uh, initially promised. I mean, we saw the press release. We we wrote the story on it. You wrote the story on it uh, that that talked about the amount of GM's investment and how many jobs they were going to create. But there is a, a very low threshold. If you don't, I'll, I'll let you uh, discuss this in detail. But th- at some point in time, the state of Michigan actually can claw back some of that money if they don't hit certain targets, if GM doesn't hit those targets. So give us a little bit of the details on that. So when General Motors promised to invest $6.5 billion in Michigan that they said would create about 4,000 jobs, taxpayers quickly promised a subsidy of $824 million. But after the press conference, the MEDC said it wants to only enforce the clawback provision up to 3,200 jobs, an investment of $3 billion. Oh, wow. So that would hike the average taxpayer cost per job created up about $50,000 to $257,000. Dang. Yeah. That, that, that's amazing. Um, do you have any uh, imp- background on what, what's happening now with, with Ford? And it's, it's breaking up into the legacy corporation and then the electric vehicle corporation. Not as much as I'd like to. I've been trying to write the story, but it is proven to be harder than expected. Okay. All right. Well, um, because Michigan lost out on some major Ford investment, they, they took it down to Tennessee, which is what basically prompted the, the deal with GM. And do you have any more background on that, Scott? Yeah, it, that whenever Michigan missed out on that $11.4 billion deal, that instead went to Kentucky and Tennessee, who offered large amounts of taxpayer money. Um, uh, Whitmer, that really kicked the legislature and Democrats into high gear, saying because they believe that Uh, to create a thriving environment, you have to heavily subsidize a few large companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's also a lot of pushback to that in the legislature. Uh, Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, they say that $6.5 billion might not be a lot to General Motors, which reported $10 billion of profit in 2021. But to the average Michigander, uh, that money could have fixed the roads during pothole season. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other things that came up this this week, and uh, I was kind of surprised that it didn't get a little bit more uh, notoriety, I guess would be the, the proper word, is that uh, actually the governor announced that she had reinstated Michigan's controversial prevailing wage government contracts and the the strange thing about that is in 2018 the legislature did away with prevailing wage in michigan and then governor rick snyder signed it into law but governor whitmer has decided that she is going to circumvent that law and 
run it through uh, contracts that go in front of uh, the Department of Technology Management and Budget, and that they will exercise their own authority to develop the terms of state contracts, which would include prevailing wage. And uh, up until then, Michigan was one of 24 states that had repealed prevailing wage practices. So there's a lot of individuals who are extremely upset about that. A lot of groups that are upset by that. I, I had a talk with uh, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce and Wendy Block responded and she said in 2018, more than 380,000 Michigan citizens signed a petition proposing legislation to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage law and the Michigan legislature adopted it. And the law repealed Michigan's red tape requirement that union wages be paid on state government construction projects, regardless of whether the construction worker is unionized or not, um, which drives up costs astronomically. So uh, the result of Michigan's prevailing wage requirement was higher construction costs on taxpayer funded projects. In fact, a 2015 study by the nonpartisan, I'm, I'm reading from her quote here, by the nonpartisan Anderson Economic Group revealed that prevailing wage schemes for just public schools and universities cost Michigan taxpayers an additional $127 million annually over a 10-year period. Wow. So when you amortize $127 million over 10 years, it doesn't seem like that much, but at the same time, you, you got to wonder, is this the best way moving forward for Michigan? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, especially why uh, she did that this year is also very interesting. Well, I, I, I think you and I both have uh, deep suspicions as to what the motivations were behind that, but um, we'll, we'll leave it there on the table and uh, let readers to or listeners suss this out for themselves. So... Let's wrap up with um, another story that you wrote, and this one's really, really interesting. Um, delineating the 77 steps, you know, there are uh, how many ways that uh, Paul Simon used to leave his lover, but there are 77, 50 ways, 50 ways to leave your lover, but there are 77 steps to start a restaurant in Detroit. That's, uh, that's according to a new report from the Libertarian Public Interest Law Firm, the Institute for Justice. The report analyzed barriers to work in 20 cities and uh, found that it did indeed take 77 steps to start a restaurant in Detroit, which just blows my mind because, I mean, there's so much good food there. They all had to go through that process. <laughs> um, they, oh man, they, they had to want it bad. Uh, the, the report suggests the city free Detroiters from overbearing costs, delays, and complex, complexities that they described resulted to a, quote, death by a thousand cuts. So some of these uh, specific examples, expiring restaurateurs must pay 15 different fees, totaling $6,545 to even get started. And to be clear, the 77 steps to start a restaurant that's all that all happens before opening day. So first you have to please the city enough to open and then you have to please customers enough to stay open. Wow. Wow. And um, I don't know about you, but I grew up not only working on a farm, that's where I grew up, but uh, uh, one of my siblings also owned a restaurant with, with her spouse and 
I spent my weekends bussing tables and I know how difficult it is to just keep a, a restaurant in business when you have to keep the customer satisfied, but then you have another layer over that. So uh, it seems like a, a bit of a regulatory nightmare. It definitely is. And I think there's a stark contrast between the state of Michigan wanting to give you know billions of dollars to these large entrenched organizations who have armies of lawyers um, you know, versus we could just help these cities so much just by, uh, you know, analyzing regulations to make sure that they actually protect consumers. Right. I don't see myself mm-hmm. buying a, a, a $75,000 electric vehicle in the near future, but I, I darn well know for sure I'm going to be <laughs> ordering a pizza and I'll be down at the Fox Theater in May for a concert. Ooh. And um, there, there better be some good food some good victuals waiting for me when I get there. <laughs> so, well, I think that's about all the time we have for this episode of Michigan in Focus. And I'd like to thank you, Scott, for all of your news insights. Thank you for having me. You bet. And you can read all the Center Square stories at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And listen to the Center Square podcast at americastalking.com. That's America's Talking. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. Scott and I will be back next week.